Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Greg Barnes and Sherelle McMillan. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. I've got Greg and Sherelle on because we're going to talk basketball. And Sherelle put it out there on Twitter earlier today. Uh, this is our second sort of off-season podcast on basketball, and we've tried to do them um, with Sherelle and Greg or Sherelle and Rob over the last few years, do three or four or so in the off-season and, and sort of hit on things that people are talking about. And Sherelle, I'll come to you first because the big thing this time of year uh, is the recruiting aspect of it. And for those of you that aren't premium subscribers to Inside Carolina, you need to be one so you can read Sherelle's work and Inside Carolina staff's work on the weekly scoops and get more in-depth on the recruiting side of things. But Sherelle, lately, Roy Williams seems to be casting that wider net than maybe um, he's used to, maybe definitely those that follow Carolina recruiting are used to seeing. Just get your take on that um, in sort of a general sense. I mean, is that – is that something I'm imagining or is that something that's happening? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, in the past, I think what they've done is the offer, the number of offers isn't really that different, but maybe the timing of those offers is different. And I, I think, and like you said, it's in the weekly scoop. So uh, check it out if you get a, a chance. I think what's happened in a couple of the previous classes has made them, I wouldn't say change, but just tweak is the word we use, just tweak their approach a little bit as far as offers. Um, so this past Monday, they gave out three more. And what's unique about it is that, you know, Roy doesn't really do June offers that much. Um, if you look back kind of when he um, likes to give offers is after the July recruiting period. Well, this year, the July recruiting period is only one, um, there's one AAU weekend or one AAU week. And then there's the other, other regional camps and USA basketball stuff. What replaced that was two weekends in June, um, last weekend and this upcoming weekend, where uh, coaches could watch players on their high school teams, essentially. And that's what he took advantage of. And he saw Hunter Dickinson and Earl Timberlake, who play for the math up in Maryland. Um, and then uh, he also saw Dawson Garcia, who plays up in Minnesota. And all three of those guys picked up offers Monday night. So part of it is that there's a new opportunity to see players, but a part of it also is that he doesn't have as much opportunity in July or April as he used to, to, to watch guys. Tommy, I think part of the issue too, and, and Roy kind of blasted the, the, the process last week when, when he talked to us, uh, but with the new recruiting rules in place, uh, the, the, it's probably hurt lesser programs for sure, but it also kind of puts them in a situation where they're having to scramble uh, to see some of these guys because there's there's such, um, as Sherelle laid out, such you know, small numbers of opportunities. And so what they're having to do is you go, you see one kid somewhere, hop on a plane, go see another two kids. Uh, he was actually talking about how they, they've really had to kind of adjust how they did that. And so uh, that more than anything has probably affected their approach. Although, you know, as, as Sherelle says, there's, there's more to it. Uh, but the, the I would be curious in hearing Sherelle's take on if he sees the the recruiting rule change and how they've set up these uh, these these basically camps is kind of how I view them. You know, a couple in June, the one in July, 
is that a benefit to North Carolina? And do you think that's a benefit to your Division One basketball as a whole? Uh, it's a bit. It, I wouldn't say it's a benefit to North Carolina just because they have the resources where they can pretty much do whatever they want, go wherever they want, whenever they want. <clears throat> they don't have an unlimited budget, but they have a higher budget than most schools. Let's put it that way. Um, so for them, flying to Minnesota isn't really a big deal or flying to D.C. and then flying back to North Carolina and then flying to Minnesota isn't a big deal. But when you get to your, you know, mid mid mid, mid major teams, even some of your um, teams in major conferences that maybe have been struggling a bit or don't have the infrastructure or fan base, you know, they just can't do that the same way. So I would say for North Carolina, it's just kind of business as usual. Things are just a, a slightly different. But overall, I don't I don't think it's great for um, Division One basketball. One of the positives though was that at the MBPA camp um, in Charlottesville, which we go to every year, there was a twenty four hour window for coaches to watch guys and that's unique because <laughs> i don't know if everybody knows but it's it's broken up into sneaker uh companies so basically there's an adidas circuit there's a nike circuit and there's an under armor circuit and then there are teams who aren't sponsored by any shoe companies and they all play different schedules they don't play each other but at a camp like mepa um minus the people who went out and played for usa basketball you had everybody from Under Armour and Adidas and Nike playing together. So it was a, a good evaluation opportunity for UNC. And the three guys who got offered, um, two of them were there and North Carolina watched a lot, uh, Timberlake and Garcia. So I think that's a positive, but overall I think it's a, a net negative for college basketball in general. Let me ask you, Sherelle, from sort of the high school guys or the recruit standpoint, how did the rules have the rules affected them um, either – positively or negatively i would think if you close the window for viewing it makes those viewing periods a lot more pressure packed for the players themselves i mean have you seen that or is that or are they just you know they're doing their thing regardless of um, who might be in the stands even though i personally i think that would be tough to do for a 16 17 year old kid yeah again i think it's for the top guys you know you're let's just say top 100. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like the coaches know kind of who's good and the coaches know who's the type of player that can play at the school. I think who it hurts is the kid who's ranked 200 and who maybe hasn't been seen, but is better than 200. Um, you know, someone like Cam Johnson, for example, say that he was, you know, I think he was ranked 227 or something ridiculous coming out of high school. Um, you know, he wouldn't have had a chance to really be seen by high major schools if the setup was, um, than the way it is now. So I think it hurts those those guys who want to fight their way into the top 100. And we see it every year where there's a somebody who just kind of comes out of nowhere and becomes, you know, a top 15, top 20 player. I remember a few years back, I guess I'm dating myself, it's more than a few years, it was Mitch McGarry. Nobody had heard of him. You know, he was he was okay. And then all of a sudden, he had a great MVPA camp. He had a really good uh, couple weeks in July, and he vaulted into the top 10. Um, Deion Thompson was someone who... Uh, Roy Williams hadn't really heard of and he saw him at some random camp in I think California and uh, he's another guy who kind of skyrocketed up from not really being ranked to you know top 40 or 50 players so those are the ones who I think it hurts for your 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 known quantities it's not that big of a deal I don't think let me ask you uh, while we're still on recruiting side of things and it sort of will segue us into discussion of the current team is uh, how has Kobe and Nas's one and done deal and Roy having to get the grad transfers. I mean, how is that, how much pressure is that put on the staff to get guys committed, to get freshmen committed? Or do you think they are uh, 
you know, I don't want to say married to the idea or or whatever of getting stopgap players. And now, you know, some of the one and dones are stopgaps, but like a stopgap player, I mean, by grad transfer. I mean, how is that affecting the approach? Well, I think Greg was at the press conference uh, last week where William said he kind of preferred to have four or five freshmen uh, in reference to a question about grad transfers. Is, is that accurate, Greg? Yep, that's he said in an ideal world, uh, he would have the four to five freshmen instead of grand, grad transfers. But given that it's not an ideal world, uh, they will make use of them as best they can. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I think um, Cameron Johnson has made it easier for UNC and even Justin Knox back in the day to a degree. Um, he wasn't the player that Cam Johnson was, but he came in, uh, wasn't a problem, did his job, was a, a pretty solid backup. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think he's had two really good experiences with grad transfers and it's a way to supplement the roster because there were some players they missed on, uh, frankly, in the class of uh, 2019 and they had to make up for it. <clears throat> and they did the best job they could, all things considered, with those four commits over, I guess it was a three week span between uh, March and you know early May. Um, so, you know, I, I really think that it is um, a change in how they're thinking. Brad Frederick, an assistant uh, for Coach Williams, has been really instrumental in working with some of that stuff. And I think, you know, Cam Johnson, people saw how well he played. So that was appealing to Justin Pierce and to Christian Keeling. And then I think Cole Anthony, you know, we've talked to Greg Anthony. We've written a good amount about him. Uh, I think that what Kobe White did definitely showed that, Roy Williams isn't afraid to give the ball to a freshman point guard. And that's a big deal for a lot of players. So um, it's been, I think, a, a positive for UNC. And I think you'll start to see some of um, the rewards from that in the class of 2020. I think it's an interesting kind of development. And as Sherelle said, I think Justin Knox is, is critical to all this because we know that, that Roy Williams can be stubborn with how he does things. And you, if Justin Knox comes in and that's not a great situation, because Roy has really talked uh, very positively about about Justin. If, if that wasn't a great experience, then maybe he doesn't go to bat for Cam Johnson. Because you remember, you had all that stuff with, with Pitt not wanting him to to transfer and those kind of things. Um, but because of what happened with Knox, and obviously because of what happened with Cam, I think the coaching staff uh, had a very good experience. And you know what? This can work. We we can. We can make use of this, even though we're not used to transfers leaving. We're not used to transfers coming in, uh, but we can take advantage. And they have done that, and we'll have to see exactly you know, how, how Pierce and Killing do. I think what you have to be careful about, um, and we've talked about this before, and I always use Duke as an example because they're kind of they've become the, the one and done, uh, the one and done representative. You know them and them in Kentucky. But it seems like you know, for such a long period of time, when, when Duke was so good, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they always had you know, Sheldon Williams, um, J.J. Redick, although J.J. was a special player, Kyle Singler, Quinn Cook with that 15 title team. Guys that were very experienced, who had played a, a ton of minutes over the years. But I think one thing that's kind of bit Duke in recent years is they've had to rely on so many young guys you don't have those guys that have been in the program for a few years and have played a lot of minutes, and I think that's hurt them. And you know, North Carolina last year is a great example. Uh, you lose some very talented pieces dating back to that championship year in 2017, but who do you have left? I mean, you've got guys like Luke May. You've got a guy like Cameron Johnson who's played a lot of basketball, even though some of it was at Pitt. Kenny Williams has played a lot of minutes. 
And so you've got the veterans. Then you can add in Kobe White. You can add in Nasir Little. Uh, and you've got a very sound, you know, complete lineup. But I think if you if you look at what happened with Carolina, they lost five, the top five scorers from last year's team. You're projecting forward. They're going to lose Keeling. They're going to lose Pierce. They're going to lose likely Cole Anthony and Brandon Robinson, who, who may be able to start. So you're talking about four potential starters that you're losing immediately, and two of the guys were grad transfers that come in. So, yes, they are stopgap, but I think that speaks to why Roy you know, kind of tipped his hand and saying, look, I'd rather have the freshman in than having to rely on the grad transfer route because you want to make sure guys are able to kind of build up. Garrison Brooks is a great example. I know we'll talk about him in a little bit, but he's a guy you played good minutes first year, had a very good year last year, and they're really going to count on him this year and next year to really kind of be you know, the, the, the presence inside that they need, especially on the defensive end of the floor. And, you know, I think we started off this talking about um, all the offers in the class of 2020. And what Greg said articulates pretty much why um, that's happening. Uh, you know, they they wanted a big class in 2019 and they got it. It just wasn't exactly what they expected. So in 2020, I think they're, they are taking precaution to make sure that they do have two or three guys who are going to stay around for more than one year. They want to, you know, we all know the Roy, the Roy-isms, um, which is basically that he wants experienced talent. And you can't get experienced talent if your talent leaves after one year. So he wants a mix. You know, I think last year in an ideal world is kind of what he wanted. He had three or two seniors, a graduate transfer in his fifth year, and two uh, really talented freshmen and a sophomore who played a good amount. So he had a, a good balance of all those things. So I think last year's roster probably is closer to what he envisions as, you know, his type of uh, championship team. Good stuff there. Great points. We've got plenty more to talk about on that line. But I, I'm going to talk a little bit about johnnytshirt.com. Of course, folks have heard me talk about it in the past. They've heard Inside Carolina talk about it in the past. And there's a good reason. One, they're the sponsor of this podcast. And they do a lot of great things for us at Inside Carolina. But they also do a ton for Carolina fans across the board. Whether it's on Franklin Street or online, you, you can get their customer service that's second to none as far as Carolina gear. It's all Carolina all the time. Anything you need, whether it's a shirt, some pants, some sweats, hats, keychains, anything you can imagine, johnnytshirt.com's got it. And Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street's got, got it. It's a great place to stop when you're on campus. Uh, whether you're visiting in the summer or whether you're in town for a ball game, of course, they've got all the football gear you'll need for the season coming up, and they've got plenty of basketball gear for the season we're talking about now. JohnnyT-Shirt.com, Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street, locally owned, alumni-operated, great place to go. And if you're that Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, not only do you get Sherelle's weekly scoops and other uh, great information uh, that you can't find anywhere else, you get that 10% off your orders in-store and online johnnytshirt.com this inside carolina podcast sponsor let me stay where we are because we asked some questions on twitter or saw some questions on twitter and and somebody asked about the long game and we sort of talked about it a little bit but i wanted to get in it more is how do you develop players in this era now and roy williams likes to do it um but it seems like it's getting tougher. And Greg, I'll come to you first with it since we mentioned Garrison Brooks. He is a prime example, I think, of how Roy Williams is still able to accomplish that. And I think Garrison Brooks becomes a, a major factor in Roy Williams' team 
even with uh, Baycott coming in, even with the grad transfers that can play on the wings and, and help out, Garrison Brooks, his development, his progression, and where he's come and where he can go is going to be huge for this season. Yeah, and I think I think it really kind of factors into what we've been talking about in terms of you're bringing in four to five freshmen, you know, per class if you can, as close to that as possible. Because within that, you're going to have guys like Cole Anthony, who's going to hit the ground running and is going to be good from game one. Um, but you're also going to have, you know, a guy like Garrison Brooks. Um, you're also going to have a guy like, you know, Marcus Page. You know, those are a little bit different prospects, but but we can use that as an example. You know, Marcus was thrust into the uh, point guard role early, and he really, really struggled, but he showed promise his first year and then kind of exploded, you know, his sophomore year. So he really only needed one year to kind of get comfortable. Uh, Garrison is a guy that uh, he probably needed a year and a half. I would say you know, from my perspective, it seemed to be really kind of January or February when he just really became a consistent presence for them defensively. Um, and I think that helped everything offensively for him as well. So you're going to have those types of players. And so when you talk about kind of this age of ball, I think that's a valid a valid question. And that may be why Roy doesn't want necessarily the grad transfers, uh, you know, having to count on those guys year in and year out because there is a process involved there. I mean, Cam Johnson, you know, granted, I know a lot of Cam's issues were injuries. Uh, but just think about how much he grew from last year to this year. You know, nobody would have projected Cam to be a lottery pick you know, midway through uh, last year, right? I mean, that, nobody would have. But yet he, he was able to get a year under his belt. He was able to get healthy, uh, work with Jonas quite a bit, and improved his, his game, and he kind of exploded. Uh, and then I think you also have to talk about a guy like you know Kobe White. Kobe came in. And Roy talked about how there's going to be some some learning curve there. But what does Roy do? Does Roy scale back the offense? Does he scale back uh, how he kind of builds his teams to let the freshmen catch up? No. And that's one of the critiques with Nasir Little, right, is that you know, he's, he's not kind of building things around Nasir. He's making Nasir kind of step into the, you know, the team at full speed. And for some players, they can pick it up. For some players – there's a little bit of a challenge there. And then when you add in the fact that you know, Nasir was kind of a unique talent, I think there was some some difficulty kind of figuring out what he was supposed to be and how he could help the team best while showing you know, showcasing his talents. But Kobe, um, he showed splashes early, but there was a lot, of, a lot of games where he had way too many turnovers, a lot of games where he just took some bad shots. But as he got into ACC play, he, he got comfortable. And so, depending on the player, you their their learning curve and their their growth trajectory is going to be a lot shorter. You know, for a guy like Kobe or for Garrison, it may be eighteen months. Um, and so that's really the challenge. And I, I really think the fact that you know, some of these guys it takes more than a year is why Roy wants to make sure he can get some of these kids to come in. I mean, and Kenny Williams. And when you talk about injuries, I think Kenny's a great example. They knew coming in, they thought he could be a very good shooter for him. How many threes did he have his freshman year? He had one, right? And then he gets injured his second year. So entering his junior year, we're like, well, yeah, we've seen a little bit. We think he can do this. We think he can be this kind of player. But we haven't really seen it. 
but because he was within the program and he was able to kind of build and get healthy and all this kind of things, he became a very key piece for this team the last two years. So uh, I think that's kind of the key component is having the ability to grow them uh, and without kind of sacrificing for the team, because as Roy's always said, he coaches for the program, not really for any spe- you know, specific year in terms of you know, installation of his offense and defense. Trail, that's a great point Greg makes there at the end, and I want your take on it because a lot of people ask in, in some of those Twitter questions, message board questions, is will Roy Williams adjust his offense given the personnel that will be on the floor this year? And I don't, I don't see it happening that much. Uh, I mean, they they have plenty of wings. They're gonna have Cole Anthony, who a lot of people have called, you know, one of the best pure point guards they've had in a long time. But in general, what does Roy Williams adjust this se- this coming season, if anything? You know, with specificity, I I, I couldn't exactly tell you, but I do think, um, you know, well, here's an example. Just talking to people, you know, around the program or whatever. Cole Anthony's greatest skill, or the th- one of the things he's really, really good at, is playing in pick and roll situations. And I know pick and roll now is kind of a buzz term that people use when they want to sound smart about playing basketball, but it is fundamentally one of the basic plays in all of basketball now at pretty much every level. And, you know, Cole's really good in making decisions off of it, whether it's to, you know, go over, go under, shoot, you know, whatever, all the um, permutations of what he's supposed to do off pick and roll, he's really good at. That's one thing that everybody we talked to, whether it was his dad or, or you know, NBA people or other college coaches, high school coaches, AU coaches, they all talked about how great he was at that. So I think you'll see Roy Williams, you know, maybe put him in a couple of situations, put him in pick and roll situations more um, in a game within the constructs of North Carolina's offense, if that makes any sense. So again, it not to use the word tweak again, but it would be more of a tweak than it would be a change. And I think he's done that consistently um, over the years. He's kind of molded what he does well into what he has on the team currently. Um, that's going back to a couple of years ago when they had to play small last year when they played small some more. It was, you know, talking to Dewey and um, Adrian and, and people who know much more about the intricacies of basketball than, you know, you or I. Um, they talked about again and again <clears throat> how things were different, but they were still very similar. And it was just, you know, a, a tweak here, a player in a different spot there. But it was still the overall same offense. So I think that's what you'll see is Roy Williams. Uh, you know, just tweak his offense a little bit for Cole Anthony in particular. Um, the the rest of it, I, I think is it'll be just traditional Robins basketball, what we've come to expect and know. Yeah, I think I think kind of the key component here is when you talk about Roy Williams' offense, um, the way it's been described to me multiple times by various people around the program, either who have worked with Roy or have played for Roy, is that it's a philosophy. Um, and that he has, you know, it's, it's, it's a motion deal, it's freelance, it's based on utilizing uh, the players that are playing their talents. And so if you have a guy like Cole Anthony uh, and some of the insight that we've received with some of the pickup games this summer, as Trill says, one of his strengths clearly is pick and roll. Um, I didn't know that pick and roll was like a fancy term now, Sherelle, because that that's old school. I mean, that's, you're drawing... Uh, drawing screens in the dirt when we're kids, I guess it's kind of come back. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's just what people say now when they want to sound. That's Curtis Blow, man. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, pick and roll situations. I know basketball. Anyway, go ahead. I like pick and roll. I like to give and go. Go, Greg. Uh, but 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 apparently uh, Cole and Armando uh, Bacot, for example, ha- had several pick and roll situations early against the, the older guys. 
Um, and they look pretty good doing it. And of course the older guys are like, all right, we see what they're doing now. And they kind of shut it down. Um, and so that's, that, that's kind of what Roy wants to do. He wants to say, all right, well, who's going to be best, uh, using, you know, these different style of, you know, whatever tweaks we use with the secondary break, whatever specific plays that we call I mean, how do guys like to come off screens, right? I mean, how do guys like to use, uh, screens at the, at the top of the key? Do they like you know, the, the high low? Do they operate better? Do we have good enough passers uh, down in the post that we can use that high low effectively? And that's all going to be dependent upon you know, what type of players that the Roy has on hand. And I think, I think in hearing from people thus far who've watched some of the pickup games, I think there's a lot to be ironed out. Like, I think all of us know that Cole Anthony is going to be the engine that makes this thing work. Uh, but you know, leaky blacks, still not back to full health. Um, you know, we, we know Jeremiah Francis, um, is, is going to be out for a little while. Uh, Anthony Harris is, is still sidelined. Sterling Manley is still sidelined. Uh, Justin Pierce and Christian Keeling are just trying to kind of get accustomed to what UNC is about. You know, Armando of course is a, is a true freshman trying to fill his way around. So we're, we're not going to see what the talents of this team are beyond maybe a guy like Garrison Brooks, beyond maybe you know, Cole Anthony, even Brandon Robinson. We kind of know what he can do. But I think beyond that, there's a lot of question marks. And until Roy's able to get them into practice, in preseason practice, we see how they perform against Notre Dame in some of those early games. Um, I think it's, it's too early, really, to kind of project what works best. I mean, we've heard that, well, these stats show that, that Pierce can shoot some threes. Well, if you've got a guy that's maybe playing the four who can knock down some threes, well, that's going to change things for you as opposed to maybe having Armando and Garrison down in the post. And so a lot of those different things will play into to how Roy changes things. But as Sherell says, your core concepts are going to be the same. It's just a matter of you know, what what plays you insert in. How, how, do, you, how do you switch up things with your breaks? Uh, those types of things. Plenty more questions for you guys. I got a ton more questions to ask, but let's take a short break. We'll be right back on the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by johnnytshirt.com. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sherelle, I read the pickup game report, and I'll be honest, the thing that stuck to me the most is not about Cole Anthony. It's not about uh, guys not being healthy. It's about Garrison Brooks again and the comment uh, that he's training to be a power forward rather than a center. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a, a huge deal, but 
the question uh, posed in the pickup game report is, I wonder if he'll get some of those Luke May type shots. And Luke May was a huge part of the pick and roll or the pick and pop that Carolina would run. I mean, is Garrison Brooks really a guy that can assume some of that role? I mean, I think we all think it'll be Pierce taking a lot of those, but is Garrison Brooks getting that for him? Or is he is he working on that? Because that's something maybe Roy Williams and the staff said, look, we need to get this ironed out because we need you in that role. Well, you know, he doesn't have to be a confident shooter out to the three-point line to be able to do some of the pick and pop stuff. I know, you know, you talk to folks who um, live by analytics and they'll tell you that a long two is the, you know, Rick Pitino famously said it, that a long two is the worst shot in basketball. Um, but when Bryce Johnson was at North Carolina, I mean uh, – he took maybe three or four threes his senior season. Everything he did came at the rim and in kind of that mid-range. And, you know, when Garrison Brooks came to North Carolina, um, he said, Roy Williams told me I'm a power forward and I'm going to be competing with Luke May for the starting power forwards uh, position. Now, what happened was, is that because some of the other bigs weren't as advanced as, you know, um, uh, you know, they wanted them to be when they came in as freshmen, Brooks, you know, kind of head and shoulders above the other two. And so he got the nod uh, as a starter at the beginning of that season when Cam Johnson was hurt. Uh, So I think you'll see Brooks do some of that stuff. I think he can shoot, you know, out to 13 or 14 feet, kind of that mid range. He, he, he's shown, I think he's capable of doing that. And if it's something he's worked on so far in the off season and will continue to work on until fall practice starts. And I I don't see any reason why he can't be paired with Armando Baycott uh, doing some, some high low stuff and, you know, being a functional replacement for Luke May. Again, North Carolina doesn't have to have that in their offense. They don't have to have a four who can shoot threes. They've they've been pretty good uh, for several years without one who can do that. It, it's great that Luke May was able to do that, but we talk about fitting um, the philosophy and the offensive construct around kind of your your talent, and Rowings has done that with bigs who aren't three-point shooters when they're in North Carolina. Yeah, and I think the other thing too, Tom, is in the in the previous pickup game, and kind of what we were told is that Brooks was not taking those shots, and that he was in fact really trying to you know, create off the block with, with some unique offensive moves that that we really haven't seen out of him in recent years. So I, I think it's really just a matter of him kind of trying to expand his game. But I will say, kind of to Shrill's point. It's not like North Carolina needs Garrison to become some outside shooter. I mean, sorry, but if you're relying on Garrison Brooks to knock down four to five, 18 footers for you to win games, good luck. Um, you know, not dissing Garrison at all, but that's not his game. That's fine. And so, you know, Roy's not going to put him in that position. However, we know Garrison is a pretty good passer. And so, when you start saying, okay, well, how is North Carolina so effective against the zone? Well, where are the weak spots of the zone? The free throw line, right? North Carolina is very successful with the high-low. What we saw uh, in the first two rounds in the NCAA tournament, you know, Luke May and uh, Nasir Little, when they were able to get the ball there at the free throw line, uh, they just completely blew the zones up. So if Garrison can turn around and you know, we know he can pass, if he can make some good passes, maybe that'll free him up to have that little 15-footer for uh, occasion, you know, and if he can knock that down, that stresses the defense even more. And then, of course, you got the short corner. So if he can knock down that little jumper too, all of a sudden, your teams are going to have to change how they they try to guard North Carolina. And so I think more than anything, that's where he's going to be opportunistic. You knock down some shots, 
from the elbow. Um, but I, I think if, if North Carolina is going to have to you ask him to take shots further out, I don't think that's going to be effective, and that's why I don't think Roy is going to do that. He's not going to put the red light on necessarily, uh, but that's not going to be the ideal shot. Terrell, let's let's check out some more of these Twitter questions. And, you know, like I've said earlier, if you want all the the recruiting information, you need to get on the premium message board and check out all that. I mean, there's too much to even account for and a lot going on. So you need to check those out on Sherelle's Weekly Scoop. But Sherelle, let me ask you a question that somebody mentioned on Twitter. And it's interesting to me because it was basically, who's going to be Carolina's second leading scorer? And we're so far out from the season. A lot of guys got to get healthy, but it's fun to do. And it's the summer. So uh, I would assume that the assumption that that person makes is that Cole Anthony's the leading scorer. Uh, I'm not really sure that's the case, but your thoughts. And then Greg, I want yours as well. I think uh, so. If you'd asked me this uh, a month ago, I probably would have said Christian Keeling and nothing has changed with Keeling. I still think he's, he'll be North Carolina starter. Uh, at the two. Um, I think he's talented. I think he's a good shooter um, and he can really help them. But um, the more I think about the connection that Cole Anthony and Armando Baycott have coupled with um, Sterling Manley being injured and, you know, Brandon Huffman still needing to do some improving. Armando Armando Baycott's going to get a lot of touches in the post. And uh, you talk about North Carolina, you know, potentially being a really good passing team. I think Brandon Robinson is a good passer. We know Leaky Black is a good passer. We think Cole Anthony will likely be a good passer. Justin Pierce um, has shown in college that he's a a pretty solid passer. And Keeling has shown some of that ability as well. Baycott's going to have a lot of shots, you know, at the rim uncontested. So, I mean, he could get fairly easily, you know, eight to 10 points just on, uh, you know, dunks that come wide open or, or tip ins, that kind of thing. And then if he just makes one or two moves in, in the post per game or gets to the free throw line, you're already talking about 12 to 13 points. So I, I think it'll be Baycott for that reason, just because he'll have seems like he's going to have a, a lot of opportunity. Greg, you think Cole Anthony is the leader of this team from day one uh, on the score in the score sheet? And do you agree with uh, Sherelle that they could be led by two freshmen? I think that would be an interesting. And I'd I'd wonder is that a first uh, for Roy Williams' coach team? Heck, maybe even the Carolina team. Period. Yeah, I think Anthony is going to have to be the the leading scorer at least early until everybody kind of gets settled in. Um, but I, I I think Garrison Brooks is going to have to have a big year for this team. Um, there, there's a lot of pieces that kind of have to work into the fold, and I understand that. And this team will look a lot different once we get to February. Uh, but Garrison Brooks is going to have to be a double-double machine. Um, he's going to have to be a guy that, that gets you, you 14 and 10 pretty much every night. And uh, you know, maybe maybe Armando gets to a point later in the season where he can be that consistent presence. I do think just knowing how kind of freshmen are, um, I would assume that you know he'll have some some really good games and he'll put up some numbers. You're like, wow, if he could do that every night, this kid could be one and done. And then he'll go quiet for a couple games. And we saw that some early last year with, with both Kobe and Nasir, and really Nasir for for most of the year. Um, but you, know, Keeling, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of works in because he is a, a pretty slim guy. Uh, pretty small, and um, and so if he gets hot, maybe he's the guy that can score some from you, for you. But 
uh, it'll be interesting. I, I think you know, Brandon Robinson is going to be a key piece, and I, I know he's not going to be a guy that people look at and say, wow, you know, he's he's averaging 12 a game. I, I don't know that he can do that unless he's knocking down some threes. But I also think Leaky Black's the guy that has to be productive. Um, I think he has to be that utility man, maybe more so this year than what than what North Carolina has needed in years past. I mean, we've we've seen guys like you know Theo Pinson, um, like in the seventeen year, you know, he he did a little bit of everything. And I think Leaky's going to have to do that. And so maybe Leaky's a guy that can that can average ten a game. And so uh, Baycott for sure could be in the mix, but I, I think Garrison is is number two, and I would say Leaky's got to be maybe two A. Somebody fact-checked me on Carolina freshman leading the score, and I'd be interested to see it. But, Sherelle, Greg mentions Leaky Black, and, of course, he's missed some time this summer. How important is he to this team, this team's success this year? Because I, I think uh, the Pinson reference fits, but I, I think that he is a guy that can be a difference maker, but I'm not sure if he's going to be. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if he's going to jump into that role this season your thoughts on him overall um first to answer your question I, I think it would have to be felton and mccants um unless jawad was in there somehow um a little higher scoring than felton and maybe the uh maybe the 506 team yeah maybe i think dave was number, i think noel was the number two scorer on that team okay um yeah i i would lean towards felton mccants someone can go look this up but that's that's where my mind immediately went to just because um i wasn't sure how much jawad averaged as a I guess that would have been his junior year. Um, anyway, to answer your question, <laughs> Linky Black, I, I said in our, our first postseason podcast that I thought he might be as important as anyone on the team. Now, grain of salt, he, he won't be as important as Cole Anthony. Let's make that clear. Like, I think people just, again, have to be prepared that this is Cole Anthony's team. I, I know that, you know, Carolina has a way it likes to do things and, um, you know, the upperclassmen kind of bring you along and everything. But this, without a doubt, is going to have Cole Anthony's imprint all over it. He's going to have the ball in his hand all the time. He's going to have an insane usage rate. He's going to be able to shoot, you know, with the green light. Um, he's going to control the team. All that said, I think Leakey is very important for the reason that Greg said, is that he can cover you pretty much, you know, one through three. Um, so if Anthony Harris isn't quite back to full health in, say, November, we I, I don't think that'll be the case, but say he's not. Leakey can help, uh, you know, at the two. He can, he'll probably also be the primary backup point guard. Um, if there's an injury at the three, he can play the three, or he can be in a lineup where, um, you know, a small lineup, he can do some of the distributing if they want to um, shift down. So he, he can really do a little bit of everything. And, um, you know, he just has to get healthy. I think that's the main thing for him. I think the talent is there. Roe Williams sees it. Um, I think a lot of people saw it last year. He was kind of poised to gain a lot more minutes right when he got injured. So it was terrible timing because he was really about to be integrated more fully into the lineup. Um, but for those reasons, and considering North Carolina um, just has an unknown behind Cole Anthony in, in the backcourt, um, I think Leakey is, is vitally important. And, you know, to that degree, his health is as well. Uh, for the record, I'm looking at the stats from Felton and McCants freshman year. McCants led the team 17 points. Jawad Williams second, at least what I'm looking at. If they're yeah, not right, I, I so, thought he might sneak in there, so I was wrong. And then uh, I hadn't gotten to the others, but Greg, uh, when I'm listening to these to you guys talk and I'm I'm reading the message boards, I get a very different 
vibe on how good maybe this team can be. And and we can always talk about um, they're going to be very different in February or whatever. But um, I'd be lying if I said it, it did not concern me a little bit with so many unknowns going into a season. I mean, it, has there been, aside from maybe after everybody left after the 05 championship or, or people going pro, aside from those years, have you – um, experienced, or do you think it's overstating it that there's just there's probably as many unknowns going into this Carolina basketball season as there has been in a while? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, even if you go back to the 09 2010 team, you know, after the title in 09 and the mass exodus of players, you still had guys like Marcus Guignard and Deion Thompson. I mean, key pieces of that title team. And now we're talking about, I mean, you've got your top five scorers are gone. You do have Garrison Brooks back. Uh, but you, he was really just kind of a defensive presence for him down low. He wasn't an offensive weapon by any stretch. And then you got you know, Brandon Robinson who came in in spot minutes. Um, and so that's that's about it. And, you know, as Sherelle said, Leakey was kind of working his way up to having a bigger role. And then he gets hurt. Um, so that's kind of an unrealized potential there for Leakey. Uh, and then when you add in some grad transfers, you, you got the, the freshman. You're having to count on Cole Anthony to do a lot. I mean, we're talking about, and I think Sherelle's exactly right. I mean, usage rate's going to be through the roof. Uh, he's going to have to make things happen for this team, especially early. But we're talking about a true freshman. And, you know, last year, as great as Kobe was, and he was great, I really think he benefited from having Luke May, Cam Johnson, and Kenny Williams because they gave him room to fail. Um, he had some bad games. He took some bad shots, had a lot of turnovers in some games. But they were able to kind of carry the day until he kind of got you know, his feet under him more consistently. And consistency was his big thing. Uh, you know, Cole doesn't have that safety net. And that's a lot of pressure on him. So I do. I think there's a lot of question marks. And this is kind of the the result of Roy Williams being as successful as he's been. Is you know, both in recruiting and on the court, right? Recruiting-wise, he takes some guys and you're like, man, Luke May and Kenny Williams are the only two guys he has in that recruiting class? This is going to go south quickly. And what happens? Right? I mean, they've, they've a number one seed, what, three years in a row? And I think kind of the same with, with some of these teams. You know, we, we saw with 09-2010, which Roy would say injuries are the main reason that season was as bad as it was. But that was really about it. You know, even 12-13 was, was a decent year, even though it was somewhat of a, a step back. Um, but we've seen Roy do this for so long. They're like, you know what? Yeah, it looks bad. Uh, or it doesn't look good. We can at least say that. But Roy being Roy, as he builds this team over the course of the season, by February – they're going to be rolling. And so I think we have faith that that will happen. Uh, but a lot of things have to come into play. A lot of things have to work out. You know, Christian Keeling, he's got to be a good scorer. I mean, that that's going to have to happen um, for him to you know, be able to contribute and really help this team. Cole's got to be Cole. He's got to be the player we've built him up to be. Garrison has to take that next step. Leakey has to be this player we've talked about. So a lot of things have to happen that we really haven't seen yet. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's reason for for legitimate concern. And if Roy Williams wasn't the head coach, 
uh, I, I don't think our outlook on the season would be near what it is. That's kind of uh, where I'm at, Greg, is that uh, you know, I do this every off season and you start asking yourself, okay, <clears throat> the fewer number of questions that you have to ask about whether or not North Carolina is going to be good means that they'll probably be good. The more questions you have to ask, you start to wonder. And it, last season we were having this exact same conversation. The questions were, you know, uh, can Samith Woods be a starting point guard? Can Kobe White come in as a freshman and start a point guard? Kenny Williams has never had the scoring load that he might have to carry this year. Can he do it? Luke May looked like he uh, got a little tired towards the end of last season. Will he be able to to rebound this year? Cam Johnson is coming off of a major surgery. Is he going to be healthy? Can he be a guy who takes his games to the next level? Nasir Little is coming in with um, all the accolades and everything. Can he be a player who really makes an impact for North Carolina? And they ended up uh, – you know, a number one seed won 28 games, I believe. So I, I just think, you know, we have to be careful for the very reason you said is that Williams is the coach and he's shown himself to be very good at, at what he's doing. And I don't I don't mean to dismiss, dismiss the questions, but I, I don't mean to be pie in the sky guy like I always am. But, you know, I, I've said this probably 17 times on this podcast over the years. The fact that we're talking about missing Luke May and Kenny Williams is reason enough to believe that Carolina will be okay because those are players who weren't, you know, thought of as highly as a lot of other players, and they got better their entire time at Carolina. And I think it's safe to assume that Brandon Robinson and Leahy Black and Sterling Manley and Garrison Brooks and Andrew Playtech will, you know, kind of follow in the same tradition as all the other players before them and improve, and then you integrate the newcomers in. And I think, you know, North Carolina will be a solid team. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be a number one seed again, but I, I do think they'll be competitive near the top of the ACC again. It's fascinating. We always do this podcast. We always there's always something that sticks out from the this podcast we do every summer. A couple summers ago, it was Greg Barnes talking about, uh, and I think it was you, Greg said there there'll never be another day that Luke May doesn't start a basketball game at Carolina because um, he's going to start forever. And that may have been even three years ago. And for me, and for this one, it's the comment about Kobe had room to fail last year because of who he had on the team and Cole Anthony may not have that same room to fill this year. It's fascinating. It'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. Well, I want to, I want to talk to Greg about that and push back just a little bit. So Greg, you mean overall, you know, as a team, uh, Kobe had a little more room to fail. Is that what you're saying? Cause he, he presumably had more talented experiences players around him. Yeah, and the fact that there were several games, especially on the road early, like the NC State game for sure at PNC, but there were games where Luke and Kenny and Cam just took over, and they were the the workload. And I, I thought it was pretty funny early in the year. Kenny even talked about, it. yeah, you know, we expect as the seniors on this team to carry the day, and, and the freshmen will come along. But that's kind of what I meant is that you know if, if if you don't have those three guys, and it's Kobe. Nasir, here's the ball. Go win his ball games. Uh, I, I think that puts you in a very difficult spot. It can hurt confidence if it doesn't go well. Um, but because those guys weren't forced to be the stars from day one, they were able to kind of you know, slowly come along and and really you know, build as the season progressed. Gotcha. Understood. I thought you meant positionally as opposed to the entire team. No. Gotcha. Well, he didn't have. Uh was it the PNC Raleigh game that uh, Kenny Luke and Cam Johnson all had double doubles Correct. And, and Carolina and Kobe played bad 
and they were able to win it. That's a lot of pressure for a freshman. I mean, Cole Anthony's used to it. Obviously, we'll see if uh, if it translates. There's still a ways to go before we get there. Even though November 6th, I believe it is, against Notre Dame, not that far away. Guys, before I wrap this podcast, I wanted to get y'all's take on the NBA draft that just happened. And I know folks were like, oh, who cares? It's over with. Um, but it's interesting because I was surprised a guy like Nasir Little slipped as far as he did. Not because um, I thought he's going to be a superstar in the league, but I thought he would go higher. And so I want to talk about that a little bit, and we can talk about Cam and Kobe as well. But, Sherelle, your thoughts on that? You know, a lot of people say when you slip, you wind up with a better team, and he certainly did. It's not always the case the way the draft works with all the crazy trades and picks and all that stuff. But your thoughts on how that shook out for Nasir Little? Yeah, first of all, I just I hated it for the family. And, you know, this is with any family, um, but particularly this one since we've covered them so close. But when they're in – you know, the green room and the television's on them and, you know, you get to pick 10 and it's like, okay, well maybe soon. And then you get to 15 and then you get to 20 and then you get to 22 and it's like, well, is, is this ever going to happen? And you could kind of see it on him and his family's face. So that was the, my, my first thought was more of an emotional human kind of empathetic thought. Like, man, that must be tough. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the best days of your, of your life. Yeah. You're going to still make a good amount of money, but, um, you know, it probably was a bit humbling, and I'm sure um, it wasn't quite the night he expected. So I, I hated to see that for his, him and his family. Uh, I was surprised from a basketball standpoint just because, you know, we've been able to source some of these things a little bit and talk to people who would know, and nobody, and I think that's why he was invited to the green room, nobody expected him to fall that far. Um, talking to a few people um, just around you know, Carolina basketball around the NBA, um, we had heard, you know, somewhere um, late lottery kind of into the team. So let's just call it like 10 through 17 or something like that. That's pretty much the consensus of what everyone said. Uh, like I said, that's why he was invited to the green room. So when it went past 17, I was just kind of in shock, like, how could this happen? What what caused it? Um, but I think in the end, it ended up being one of those blessing in disguise type situations because he gets to play with one of the best backcourts in the NBA. Um, he's with a, a pretty solid franchise, um, and uh, they have they have a couple of guys who are there um, who are getting a little bit older, um, who maybe are not as spry as they once were, and maybe he can come in and, and start for them and, and be on a good team and then work his way and make some of that money back on the second contract. So that, like I said, my first reaction was one of just – kind of uh, empathy for them having to go through that on national TV. And the second was that maybe it wasn't such a bad thing for him to end up in Portland. Speaking of that, Bo Bull sitting there for four or five hours. I mean, I thought that was ridiculous that they invite all those guys and then stick cameras in their faces the whole time. But that's another story. Greg, your thoughts on Nasir um, and then on Kobe and Cam. Bigger surprise um, for you, Cam Johnson going that high or Nasir Little? slipping as far as he did well i'll echo what sherelle said with nasir slipping as far as he did and being in the green room and having to deal with that um you know i'm sure that that's there's a little bit of embarrassment there which there shouldn't be i mean the kid you know has made an incredible life for himself just with that that one night um but you, you do have you do hate to see your kids kind of sit through that because they you know, they are still kids i mean was he 19 um, and so I know that was tough, and I, I did not like to see that. Um, but I think when you talk about Kobe and Cam, 
that's what sticks out to me more than anything. Because if, if you'd ask me at the end of the year, who are the two best players on North Carolina's team? I don't think there's any question that it was Kobe and Cam. So when you start talking about, you know, Nasir as a pro prospect, well, it's, it's based on potential. Now, I don't know that we saw enough last year to say, you know what, this guy, surefire lottery pick. Um, we saw a guy that is a freakish athlete, a guy that has potential to be a, a very good player. You had to improve his handle, he's got to improve his shot, a couple of things like that. But then his, you know, his, his ceiling's through the roof. Um, but yet you look at Kobe, we know what kind of player Kobe is, right? He's a scorer. He can push tempo. He's aggressive. Watch Cam Johnson. He is an elite shooter. He's tall, right? He's the kind of guy like Roy Williams said, Golden State would love to have a guy like that. If they had him in the finals, you know, maybe we're talking about a different NBA champion. And so I, I think we all knew Kobe was going to be, you know, top 10 for sure. Um, I was a little surprised when Cam was projected kind of late first round, uh, the day or two before the draft. I mean, I think some mocks had him like at 30, 29, 30, which seemed pretty, pretty low. Uh, but for him to go as high as he did, I, I think's incredible. It's a testament to him, testament to his family. Uh, I think that's a, just a tremendous story. And as, as Roy said last week, you know, the negative to how the first round went is that Nasir did go 25th. And so that welcomes back the, the comments of what Roy can't develop one and done talent. That's why he's not getting these one and done guys. Watch Roy can push back and say, look, Cam Johnson was like 220th coming out of high school. And nobody thought this kid was going to be a lottery pick, but yet here's Cam Johnson as a lottery pick. And then Kobe White, same way. Nobody's projecting Kobe to be a lottery pick before his freshman season. Um, and so that, that dichotomy I, I find very fascinating. And it kind of goes back to how the message boards were last year, right? It's like you had two distinct groups. You had the group that said, Roy cannot develop this type of talent. He's blowing his chances with future one-and-done kids by not getting Nasir to play up to his ability. And then you had another group saying, maybe Nasir is just not there yet. Maybe Roy's giving him opportunities, but he's not quite the player that we all expect him to be. And of course, the answer is somewhere in between. You know, it's always kind of shades of gray. Um, but but that's going to be a debate that continues, especially with Nasir going as low as he did. But Roy's going to have to keep answering, and he will keep using Cam and Kobe as examples for why that, that narrative is wrong. I, I was just annoyed, and I know we're running out of time. I was just annoyed by the whole Cam Johnson age thing. It, it really gets on my nerves. Like, uh, you you would think he's geriatric and, you know, he can't move <laughs> and he can't run. The dude is 24. I mean, it's not like he's 38. He's 24. Yeah, he's had a couple of surgeries, but he's the healthiest he's been. If you talk to anybody, Roy Williams has said it. Cam has said it. His father said it. He's the healthiest he's probably been since ninth grade. And you saw what he did when he was healthy. He had, a you know, one of the better shooting seasons in North Carolina history. So I just think all of the – you know, age concerns, or I think it's just so stupid, to be honest. It, and I think, it makes no sense. And I think it was Brian Ives um, who said, he's the researcher, so I believe it was him, but said that Cam is the oldest lottery pick since Tyler Hansborough 10 years ago. So. That's interesting. It's a lot of money to own potential. 
And if Brian didn't say that, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure he's the one that tweeted that out. Sherelle, last question. And, you know, with these podcasts, they can last as long as we want, as long as people are still <laughs> listening. Um, but If you're still listening, thank you. <laughs> if you're still here, I got a good question. Is one reason you think Nasir slipped, and I don't want to knock on this too much because I do think he's in a, a great position out in Portland, but and as as opposed to Kobe and Cam. Okay, six five point guards as fast as Kobe and as good as Kobe aren't a dime a dozen. Six nine shooters like Cam Johnson aren't a dime a dozen. But aren't six six, six seven wings in the league aren't they pretty common? And that's why maybe, or that has something to do with why maybe a talent like Nasir slipped. I mean, is there any explanation that fits? Does that one? Um, maybe. I mean, you know, he is, I think he measured at six, six at the combine, but he had a wingspan of seven, two, maybe it might've been seven, three. It was something really long. And so that makes up for, you know, some, of uh, you know, be, him being six, six, you, if you six, six with a seven, two wingspan, then, you know, Guarding a six eight player really isn't a big deal, so I'm I'm not sure if if that one is it. I honestly we've tried to find out, and I just I I don't know. I guess just the season in North Carolina scared a few people off. Um, it's surprising because all the information we were getting back was that he had done really well in workouts, that he shot well, that you know he showed teams you know what they wanted to see, that he interviewed well. So it was just surprising. I I, I don't know if there's one particular answer. It could just be. You know, if you do that draft a hundred times, maybe he only falls to twenty fifth five or six times, and this was one of those five or six times. But I do think he's in a good situation. Um, I just hated it for him and his family the way it kind of played out. Indeed, I tweeted out he's going to have an Aaron Rodgers size chip on his shoulder. Some people didn't agree with that. Some people did. Good thing is, is that we'll find out. Sherelle and Greg, it's always been fun to talk basketball in the middle of June or late June. Um, we got one more of these off-season podcasts, and then it'll be here before you know it. But as always, johnnytshirt.com is our sponsor, and Greg and Sherelle are the guys that uh, drive this ship. Or well, I drive it. You guys make it. You, you make it <laughs> such a big, glorious ship that is Inside Carolina Podcast. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate it, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.